Are you ready to be transported back to 1800s high society London? Because season three of Bridgerton is now playing only on Netflix. This season follows the story of the Tons resident wallflower, Penelope Featherington, as she undergoes a journey of self-discovery and empowerment where we see her truly blossom. Penn's emotional transformation takes centre stage as her friendship with the charming Colin Bridgerton evolves into something more. For those not yet acquainted, Colin, the charming younger brother of the Bridgerton family, is about to turn Penelope's world upside down. Mm, This is the ultimate good friends to lovers story. From those initial butterflies to when both parties realise there might be something more between them, watch Bridgerton Season 3, now playing only on Netflix. Welcome to Shameless, the pop culture podcast for smart people who love dumb stuff. You're joined, as always, by Melbourne writers Michelle Andrews, that would be you, Hello. and Zara McDonald, that would be me. G'day, Zara McDonald. Good day, producer Annabelle Lee. Good day, ladies. Good, good day. day. It is a good day. <laughs> Coming up on today's show weddings, divorce, babies. Britney is pregnant. Ed Sheeran sheds fascinating light on all those copyright cases in the music industry right now. J-Lo and Ben are engaged again, and Lord's iconic shushing moment. And then all the details from Brooklyn Beckham and Nicola Peltz's Palm Beach wedding and how one decision they made to combine their names sparked a very interesting conversation in the Shameless office this week. But first, Michelle... How was your week? It was a spectacular week, my friends. And Zara, (laughs) you know that all too well because not only did we get to go to the Formula One Grand Prix here in Melbourne, which was a life highlight already, we were also invited to walk the grid and meet all of our favourite Drive to Survive stars and drivers. You kept quoting this tweet as we were walking onto the grid, (laughs) which you had read, which was, I can't wait to meet all my favourite actors from Drive to Survive. (laughs) (laughs) To clarify, my friend Maddie showed it to me. She'll want some credit for that. But yes, no, I love that tweet so much. And I just love the experience. We were overwhelmed Annabelle like as far as excited goes I was so excited I felt physically ill well what happened was we only got a message because we didn't have much reception so this message dropped about 15 minutes before we were due to be on the track Mm. saying get there and we were like cool woohoo I have no idea what's going on I didn't know what it was no idea and then as we're about to walk on everyone's like no you know what this is like this is where all the cars line up and I'm like what sport what high level international sport allows a Random people, <laughs> random fans to jump between the cars as they're about to take off. Yeah. It would be like the way that I thought about it, the comparison would be like if you and I, just before Michael Phelps <laughs> was jumping in the water for a world championship, running between all the swimmers, seeing who they could get photos with. Had a bit of a paddle with him, had a bit of a splash. No, I agree. It was bizarre. I think we realised that shit was real when we saw Eric Banner. I was going to say, I was like, oh my God, I can't believe you got to meet Eric. We got a selfie with him. Thank Daddy. you for that. 
Yeah. We, we had no chill. That was the other thing. It was like, I would love to pretend that Zara and I were composed and calm. We were the opposite of calm. We were running all over the track, shoving our selfie arms in anyone who would have us. I, I explained it to my mum much later being like, I actually, once I was on there, lost all inhibition. Like mm. I'm a thinker and I'm a planner and I think about, you know, what X decision is going to lead me to. <laughs> there were cameras everywhere, Michelle, and not once did we think perhaps the cameras are on. Yeah. Perhaps this is being broadcast live across the world. Perhaps with our big sunnies and our, <laughs> our bags on our arms, us running around trying to take selfies with everyone is going to be in the background of every broadcast ever. I didn't even think about it because I felt like a school kid who just yeah. was like in the moment. We didn't know we were going to be there. Anyone watching on might have seen us in the most obnoxiously coloured outfits. We were literally <laughs> in fluoro. We didn't and they, know. And they would have thought, wow, the shameless girls really wanted their TV moment. We had no fucking, despite actual TV crews and cameramen and newsreaders being in front of us, we didn't for a second think we were in the background of anyone's shot. We also had no reception on there, so I didn't know. I got <laughs> off the track and got all these messages and I was like, what have I done? We were in the background of every shot and it it's so dumb because we walked off. This is the thing, right? It is so silly about how when you're so in the moment of something, you don't think about anything else. You and I turned to each other and thought, oh, of course the cameras were on. Like you could yeah. see the cameras everywhere and once did I think they might be on. You could see people talking into cameras and it didn't once <laughs> occur to me that they were on. Yeah, I know. It's so stupid. <laughs> what is funny is, I don't know if I'm allowed to say this on mic, but it's too late, is when we walked off, we were walking back towards, you know, the group of people that we went with and you turned to me and you said, don't tell Mitch, but that was better than getting engaged. <laughs> was like you're high on this right now I don't know if you believe this in a week but on reflection it was good it doesn't trump getting engaged it's definitely up there Just walking the party line <laughs> it's definitely up there though I think as well it's testament to how much I enjoyed myself I went on the track with about 90% phone battery I left the track with less than 10 my phone captured everything <laughs> your phone just carved it too it was like I can't take this the energy it was as overwhelmed as I was anyway Everyone wow. can guess from that. It was a very, very, very good week. I need to also say to my fiance, can't wait to marry you. <laughs> that will be the best day of our lives when we walk down the aisle. Do you have a recommendation for me? I have two recommendations Great, if you'll allow I me. I haven't brought one. I, I spent seven days in quarantine and I don't have a recommendation. <laughs> I can bring the recommendations. All right. My first one is a two-part series by Australian Story. It's called Trials and Tribulations. This is a slight more serious recommendation than what I probably normally give the listeners. Essentially, it's a two-part series exploring how a WA man was wrongly convicted and spent 12 years in prison for a murder that he was then later found not guilty of. The interesting spanner, my ladies, is that it was found that police probably planted fake evidence in this trial to twist the outcome. It was a very, very, very interesting watch and everyone can get that for free on ABC iView. That sounds really interesting. What's your second one? My second recommendation is I went to the Melbourne Comedy Festival last night, went on a double date and we saw... <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> Weird flex. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, I, I, like what, what's the brag? I'm not quite sure. Ooh, I'm happy and loved up. <laughs> and we know this. people who are also in love. <laughs> yeah, and we, only, we strictly hang out with other people in love. I'm going to leave. Yeah. <laughs> You'd be welcome Annabelle, to. Annabelle, you're going. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Double date. 
Fine. Fuck you guys. I went to the Melbourne Comedy Festival. We went to the Edinburgh. It was called the Best of Edinburgh Show. So there were three people that got up on stage as being dubbed like the best of that festival last year or whatever. The first two were great. The third comedian, though, was so funny. He, like, got the audience in that state of laughter where you were still laughing at the last joke when you get to the next one. And I want to recommend him because his name is John Hastings. He's a very small comedian from what I can glean. He doesn't have a huge following online. He isn't doing many stand-up shows on his own, but he does have some coming up. And that's why I want to recommend any Melbourne listener – Go and see John Hastings because I know that the Melbourne Comedy Festival can be intimidating. You know the big TV comedians, but maybe not many others. This is my recommendation to you. You and your partner and your friend and your dad and your mum will love John Hastings. He was so fucking funny. I actually like, I almost want to go back and see it again. Oh, I love that because I agree with you. The Melbourne Comedy Festival can be very overwhelming because there are just so many great people, but also I don't want a dud. Yeah, no. And I also don't know so many of them. So I'm like, the risk feels too great. It's a high risk. So I love that recommendation. Because I don't have a recommendation of my own, I'll take John from (laughs) (laughs) you. I did want to raise one thing before we really jump in to the quick and dirty today. So I smashed Bridgerton while I was in quarantine. I'm so glad. Welcome to the club. Season one, season two. What a show. Out of the way for you. All done, caught up. I did have one lingering thought about it all when I finished and it was this deep-seated insecurity and I don't know if you remember this about the time that we read out Viscount on the show as (laughs) Viscount and none of us realised. I thought this so many times. Every time someone said Viscountess or Viscount, I was like, fuck off Bridget and don't remind me of my greatest shame on this show. Like the time that we said instead of vermouth, we said vermouth. Yeah, that was me and my mum called me straight away and was like, you're an idiot. (laughs) (laughs) Also, (laughs) now that we're having a chat about mispronounced words on the podcast, people were very upset with how I said Cancun on the scandal episode recently. Apparently I said Cancun. It's Cancun. I (laughs) deeply and unreservedly (laughs) apologise for the trauma I caused so many listeners. Well, yes, by the looks of things, it would have appeared that everybody fainted and died (laughs) (laughs) by the way that you pronounced it. A comment about my pronunciation got like over 100 likes. I'm like, you're right, guys. (laughs) (laughs) Keep it chirpy. God, it keeps you humble. Let us jump into the quick and dirty today, Mish, because we have a jam-packed one. There is so much I want to talk about Mm. this week and it's me hosting it, isn't it? That was me trying to find my way through that. (laughs) Yeah, so Zara recommendation-less McDonald, what have you got for us? Well, my first story, Britney Spears is pregnant and determined to deprive the paparazzi of photos. That is from Rolling Stone. Big news out of Britney camp this week. Big news on Tuesday morning, Australian time, Britney posted on Instagram, seemingly announcing she's pregnant with her third child. Now she is pregnant to partner Sam Asghari. This will be his first child. She wrote in her caption, I lost so much weight to go on my Maui trip only to gain it back. I thought, geez, what happened to my stomach? My husband said, no, you're just food pregnant, silly. So I got a pregnancy test and, ah, well, I am having a baby. Four days later, I got a little more food pregnant. It's growing. If there are two in there, I might just lose it. She went on and said, I obviously won't be going out as much due to the paps getting their money shot of me like they unfortunately already have. 
It's hard because when I was pregnant, I had perinatal depression. I have to say it is absolutely horrible. Women didn't talk about it back then. Some people considered it dangerous if a woman complained like that with a baby inside of her. But now women talk about it every day. Thank Jesus we don't have to keep that pain a secret. A really interesting note from Brittany, especially Mm. the second half that I just read out about, A, the paps getting their money shot of her, which she said they already have. So I'm wondering if she felt like she needed to announce this pregnancy before the paparazzi did. And secondly, the perinatal depression. I mean, her sons are now 15, 16 years old. So it was a different time 15, 16 years ago when she would have been pregnant. So good on her for talking about it and feeling comfortable talking about it. And also it's a pretty remarkable story after this conservatorship Mm. has ended. Yeah, 100%. And her reproductive rights were a big focal point of that conservatorship battle. So revelations came out over the last couple of years that Britney's conservators, when she was under that arrangement, had total control over the medication she was taking, including, importantly, the decision to have her on contraception, despite the fact that she has vocalised many times that she wants another baby. So, super interesting. Another random tidbit that's nowhere near as important, but I just found it quite interesting. We only knew Sam Asghari to be Britney Spears' fiancé. This week, she has started calling him her husband. So, there might have been a secret wedding. Perhaps. As well. Yeah, I think because she dropped so many bombs in one Instagram, <laughs> people have sort of scooted over that. But I think that's a really good point. My second story, Ed Sheeran now films every single writing session to prevent future copyright cases. That is from Enemy. Now, Mish, this is one of the most interesting stories, in my opinion, from the last week. Because in case you missed it, Last week, Ed Sheeran released a statement alongside his co-writers revealing that they had won their lawsuit after they were accused of plagiarising part of a track called OY by the artist Sammy Switch. Now, the case had been going on since 2018, which is just mammoth, and it was regarding their song Shape of You. Shape of You is the most streamed song on Spotify. Did you guys know that? You found this surprising in the office. I found that so thoroughly unsurprising. It was the second song I'd suggested to you. I said, all I want for Christmas by Mariah Carey. Because you knew I was researching it. <laughs> <laughs> but, and, you were no, like, well, you're right, you. Shape of You was so overplayed for like two. It was the only song radio stations played for so long. And for that reason, I kind of thought that people... We're becoming to hate it Mm. and weren't going to seek it out themselves. Where is Dance Monkey on the list? Surely it's up there by Tones and I. I'd have to look it up, but I love Ed Sheeran, but Shape of You is not my favourite song. So I was just surprised. So what's really interesting is this entire lawsuit, Mish, was hinged on about five to six seconds of audio, right? Yeah. So there is a hook that is used in Shape of You by Ed Sheeran that Sammy Switch and his co-writer Ross O'Donoghue claim is strikingly similar to the OY refrain in their track. We're actually going to give you the two hooks back to back so you can listen for yourselves. The first hook you're going to hear is Ed Sheeran's from Shape of You. The second hook you're going to hear is from Sammy Switch. What do we think? Similar, but perhaps not copyright lawsuit similar similar but perhaps not enough to hinge a four-year-long legal battle over and also shape of you is a very long song this is one small part of it it seems odd to me that you can be accused of ripping someone off when that's not particularly unique in my mind or out there yeah I agree I think the thing about this kind of story is I've learned a lot in the last week perhaps if you had have asked me a week ago before Ed Sheeran's statement came out and before I did a bunch of reading I probably would have said 
maybe it was ripped or maybe this is just a part of the industry that I don't understand. But upon doing this reading, I'm finding this whole thing really fascinating because as we know now, Ed Sheeran and his co-authors denied all allegations of copying. They claimed that they don't remember ever hearing OY before they wrote Shape of You. And after an 11-day trial, the judge ruled that they were right, that they had not neither deliberately or subconsciously copied that phrase from OY. Now, in his statement, Ed Sheeran revealed his real sadness at the state of the industry and how commonplace this is all becoming and how it's becoming, to be honest, a real stain on the industry. This is part of what he said. Whilst we're obviously happy with the result, I feel like claims like this are way too common now and have become a culture where a claim is made with the idea that a settlement will be cheaper than taking it to court, even if there's no base for the claim. It's really damaging to the songwriting industry. There's only so many notes and very few chords used in pop music. Coincidence is bound to happen if 60,000 songs are being released every day on Spotify. That's 22 million songs a year and there's only 12 notes that are available. Super interesting. I think it's worth noting this is not the first time that Ed Sheeran has been sued over something like this, Zara. In 2017, he actually settled a copyright infringement claim against another very popular song of his called Photograph. He settled for nearly £14 million. So this is not like pocket money like this isn't spare change lying around these are huge huge sums of money yeah and if you listen to anything that Ed Sheeran said in the last week or so he's been quite passionate about the fact that for him it's not about the money at all it's about the creativity it's about having to credit other people on your own work and it's about how it really does kind of infringe on the creative process if you are now really scared about what you're creating Mm. in an interview this week with BBC's Newsnight he actually said that he really regrets settling that photograph case now. He said at the time he was pretty fresh to these kinds of cases. He said that he was on tour and he was busy and he was just advised that this is what everybody does. It's easier. Let's let them go away and let's settle. He said, I didn't play photograph for ages after that. I felt weird about it. It kind of made me feel dirty. He also went on to say, this is not about money. It's not about money. It's about heart and honesty. Now to combat this happening again, Ed Sheeran has actually begun filming every single one of his songwriting sessions as we told you in the headline for this quick and dirty story according to a lot of the reading you've been doing in particular Zara the industry seems to have changed pretty dramatically after a 2015 lawsuit Marvin Gaye's family essentially sued Robin Thicke and Pharrell Williams for blurred lines and they won that suit and since they won that suit Everything took a turn. It feels very much like everyone's come out of the woodwork in sort of the last, oh, year math's great. Uh, (laughs) Seven years. Seven years or so. (laughs) In 2019, Ben Cesario wrote this for the New York Times. Years after the copyright trial over that number one song, the case still looms over the music industry and individual songwriters who were left to wonder when homage bleeds into plagiarism. What I also couldn't stop thinking about this week is now with hindsight, the amount of cases that have come up recently, Dua Lipa in the Mm. last month or so has two cases against her for levitating alone. Olivia Rodrigo has only really been in the music industry in the form that we know her now for the last, what, year and four months. And she has a bunch to her name and it's sort of kind of, puts them in a new light for me, I think. Yeah, I agree. I think as well, like, obviously it goes without saying or it should go without saying, we're not here for copying people's work. We are not here for ripping people's work and profiting off of it. But when you listen to some of these examples, truthfully, in my mind, a lot of these examples fall into the basket of 
opportunism of a smaller artist or maybe a struggling artist seeing bucket loads of cash and going, I can get my hand into that juicy, juicy pie because something sounds slightly similar in a four second part of my track to their track. Like truthfully, if we just boil this down to what it really is, it does seem like a bit of a cash grab a lot of the time, not every time, but a lot of the time. Yeah. And Ed Sheeran made that point in that, like there is only so many notes you can use. There are so many songs being released every single day. And those hit songs that we hear every single day are easy targets. I wanted to finish this kind of conversation with a snippet from Ed, from that BBC Newsnight interview, where he said, how much it really does hinder his creative process. I personally think the best feeling in the world, the best feeling is the euphoria around the first idea of writing a great song, like the first spark where you go, oh, this is special, we can't spoil, this is, this, this is amazing. But that feeling has now turned into, oh wait, let's stand back for a minute, what, like have we touched anything, you know, and it's, it does, you find yourself in the moment second guessing yourself. And my third story, Jennifer Lopez says she and Ben Affleck are engaged again. That is from The Guardian. It is indeed. J-Lo has announced her engagement to Ben Affleck 19 years after they first called off their wedding. Now, perhaps my favourite tidbit about this entire story is that J-Lo shared this news with her fans via her On The J-Lo newsletter. So (laughs) she took to her Twitter and her Instagram and she posted a video where she said that she had a major announcement coming and if you wanted to get the major announcement, you needed to go to onthejlo.com. Now, I, of course, went to the website because I am a (laughs) diligent researcher. I cannot explain to you guys how fake this news site... Annabelle, please look it up while I talk to you about it. On thejlo.com, you tell me, does that look anything like what you would expect JLo's official website to look like? Come on, Wi-Fi. Yeah, mine's loading too. I mean, I looked over your shoulder because you couldn't stop talking about it yesterday. It's not the quickest searching. What is it? It's not as like... Colourful as I would have hoped. It looks like like a fake web. It literally looks like a, like, you know, when the domain name's kind of being used, but not, it looks like that. Like JLo's not on it. It's a train station. It looks like a website for a train station. Not not any kind of train station. It's like the underground tunnel of a train station. It looks like one of those automatically, like this has been populated and you need to still fill in all the fields. Anyway, (laughs) she got people to then sign up to her newsletter and in her newsletter posted a video of herself admiring her large green diamond engagement ring. The camera then pans up to her face and she is shown to be wiping away tears saying the words you're perfect yeah so this is JLo's sixth engagement her second to Ben Affleck I can't believe this turn of events when he first proposed back in 2002 Ben opted for a cushion cut pink diamond I can't say I actually know what that means (laughs) nestled onto a platinum band with white diamonds on either side this time he actually chose an 8.5 carat square cut Green diamond. So I guess it's all maturing. Vogue quoted a jeweler who said that due to the rarity of green diamonds, the ring could be worth between five and ten million dollars. Now, one question I have before I move on very quickly: Does a green diamond look like an emerald? Oh no, not at all. I dare I say, even if it's worth ten mil, I don't like green diamonds. It looks a bit like something you would find in a gumball machine to me. I have never seen a green diamond. I've never seen wow. one. I don't love it. Oh no. Yeah. <laughs> You know what? I actually don't mind it. Okay. I don't mind it. Ollie, if you're listening. 
No, not for me. <laughs> not for me. It's kind of like mold. Really oh, it does. It is the color. It is the color of moldy white bread. Yeah. Is oh. the the shade <laughs> that we're going for? I bet if you guys could afford a five to ten million dollar ring, you'd be crying no. over a green diamond. <laughs> I do have a question for you guys before we head to the next quick and dirty story. Are they going to actually walk down the aisle? Will this lead to a wedding? Yes, I think they will do everything in their power to get there. I don't think that they will want another broken engagement. I'm going to say no, this will oh. not lead to a wedding. I there's just don't much, see it. There's too much on the line here. I, I kind of agree with you. I think it will be rocky until the wedding, but I wouldn't be surprised if they did the wedding in the next sort of two to three months to get it done. Right. And then and then maybe a divorce after that. Yeah, I, I don't think, sorry, it feels awful saying this. I oh, it doesn't feel awful. They're Hollywood <laughs> stars. They live a completely different life. Yeah, no, I don't actually feel that way. <laughs> it's just sort of the... <laughs> Tick a box. <laughs> oh, and I feel awful to say. Goodness, I just feel terrible. No, anyway, I hate them. Yeah. Anyway, I, I think maybe a year or two they will last and they will get married. Interesting. Annabelle, I'm a full Ben and Jen believer. I reckon they're like fully in love. I think they're fully in love. I think also most Hollywood relationships fully head for a car crash pretty soon That's after. So true. Yeah. I don't I don't disagree. I think this is the pinnacle though. There's gonna be the engagement and then a, a soft simmering out after this let's see my fourth story quick will smith update for us or will smith banned from attending oscars for 10 years for slapping chris rock that is from the abc now this is sort of what the third or fourth week we've mentioned Mm. this story because it's really the story that's had updates all the way through hollywood's film academy has banned will smith from attending the oscars for 10 years after he of course slapped presenter chris rock after chris rock made a joke about jada pinkett smith Now, what that means, Mish, is that he can't go to any of the events around Mm. the Academy Awards or the Oscars, but he still can be nominated? Yeah, so we're not 100% clear on this because the statement from the Academy only mentioned that he wouldn't be able to attend events and they did give the reason that they deemed his behaviour to be unacceptable and harmful. The statement made no comment as to whether or not he could be nominated or win an award, so I think people have naturally kind of deduced from that he can still be nominated. It'll be an interesting thing to see play out. Will he be nominated if something like this has happened? Will they just go, well, what's the point kind of thing? Or will he be brought back within the 10 years? I don't know. It's just an interesting thing to see. I can't imagine him being brought back. I also can't imagine this not having sort of lingering consequences for his career Mm. because even though if he may be nominated for an award, I wonder if he will for a while anyway. Like I think he would have to give a ridiculous performance for people to be like, yes, we will do that given he's banned from attending. Well, it's awkward, right? Like yeah. he can't, like he's banned, he's but banned. he's not fully banned. It's like a partial ban. And then it makes me wonder if production houses and things like that would want to hire him if the Oscar prospects aren't there. Like we know yeah. that there's a bunch of money in the Oscars and, and award season. So it really does make you think about sort of the ongoing implications of all of this. My fifth story, Miley Cyrus's mum Tish files for divorce from Billy Ray Cyrus for the third time. That is from Vanity Fair. Yeah, so the parents of Miley Cyrus are calling it quits again, according to the court filing first obtained by TMZ. So in divorce documents filed by Tish in Tennessee on April 6th, so about a week ago now, she cited irreconcilable differences as the reason for the divorce and also said that they haven't actually lived together, her and Billy Ray, since February 2020. 2020. Now, 
This has been quite the up and down relationship. Correct. So Billy Ray actually originally filed for divorce in 2010. And while they did reconcile the following year, two years later in 2013, Tish filed for divorce for the second time. By May 2017, they were once again back together and the divorce was called off. But again, now in 2022, it seems to be happening again. Mm. Now, these two share three kids together. They've obviously got 29-year-old Miley, 27-year-old Brayson and 22-year-old Noah. Tish has two kids from her previous marriage. And Billy Ray also has a son who was born like five months before Miley. Yeah, if you listen to our Miley Cyrus scandal series, you would know that this is one of the more interesting details about Miley Cyrus's family. So her half-brother, Christopher, was born five months before her, obviously, to another woman. So modern families. Modern families. And my sixth and final story, TikTokers resurfaced that old video of Lord (laughs) awkwardly shushing a crowd because time is a flat circle. That is from Pedestrian. This video is everywhere on social media. If you haven't seen it yet, let's give you a brief rundown. Essentially, Lord is up on stage in front of a crowd of people. She launches into an acapella rendition of her song, Writer in the Dark. And when the audience start to sing along with her, she leans forward and very, I would say almost semi-violently <laughs> gestures for them to all shut the fuck up. Well, it started kind of gently. So this is a resurfaced video from 2017 and this is the funniest part about TikTok is something can go re-viral. Mm. So she sort of puts one palm out, flat palm out to the audience to say, <laughs> shut up. And they don't listen. And then she puts double palms out. And then she just goes, shh, with her one finger. It's and wiggling as well. She like waves it in the air ferociously. God, it's a funny video. I mean, people are, I would. I love Lord. So I was a bit surprised about this because oh. it's a bit wanky. But that said, I just find it one of the funniest stories I've seen all week. Because it's like, you're having a live music performance. <laughs> people are there. How flattering that people want to sing along. Well, that's the thing, right? Like people know your lyrics they're big enough fans that they've kind of tracked your career enough to know this song. It is a little strange to see a pop star tell them to shut up and not participate. Like we often see that encouraged. I will give her a pass for it though. I mean, like she's going to sound a lot better by herself than with everyone with her. Well, not, sorry, mate. Not all of us are in the Australian Girls Choir. <laughs> not all I'm of getting us, roasted today. Not all of us have the pipes of an angel. <laughs> the thing about this though, you said before Lord gets a pass. I'm thinking now that Lord's one of my people that is in my past basket in terms of bad behaviour acceptable. Well, I don't know. I just really like her. Who's in my past basket? That is such a good question where they could fuck up and be like, "Mm." I I think I'm overly defensive of Taylor Swift. Yes, yes, where our bias really shows because, sorry, quick tangent, because we were having a conversation yesterday Mm. in the office going back to the Ed Sheeran story and we were talking about Olivia Rodrigo and how Taylor Swift had sort of found a way on one of her songs, I think it was Deja Vu, to get a writing credit. And I was like, I wonder with hindsight after this Ed Sheeran story, if people might feel differently about Taylor Swift going for Olivia Rodrigo and whether perhaps there was maybe a bit of difficulty behind the scenes and a bit of awkwardness about that. And you did leap to Taylor Swift's defence. Well, I just, okay. You, you didn't want to hear us out. <laughs> benefit of the doubt, we have no idea what happened there or how that transpired. I'm just not ready to say, 
ta- I'm not ready to say the sentence, Taylor Swift went after Olivia Rodrigo when we don't have a single fucking fact. Yeah, the public information is that Olivia Rodrigo went back to re-credit and that could have just been like a courtesy thing. But we think something might be similar. You under. and Zara <laughs> think something. I am not adding my name to this. But Taylor Swift is in my, uh, what, what are we calling basket. it? Pass basket. Taylor Swift sits firmly in there. For some reason... The CEO of the AFL, Gillan McLaughlin, could do no wrong in my eyes. Okay. I just love him. He is yeah, he is resigning this week and he is all over the news circle. That is a random person. Really Who's random. in yours? Who's in yours? Um, Lord? Lord, randomly though, I wouldn't have, this is the thing. Sometimes I wouldn't realise they're in my past basket until they come up and my bias starts to show yep. and mm. my love for them. You, Justin Bieber, a little for you, Justin, sorry. Yes, Justin. You, this is the oh. thing, it, it can all be quite problematic because Carly Kloss has been in my past <laughs> basket too. Some people you just really want to defend when perhaps you shouldn't. Annabelle, you got any? Um, well, mine would be Steve Carell, but I think as oh, a straight, he does as nothing a, wrong. No, but as a straight white man, you can never trust him. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know true. what he's going to do in the next few years. Oh, yeah, that's true. That is so true. He could pull a Matt Damon and just start saying problematic <laughs> thing after problematic thing. Because to be honest, Louis C.K. surprised me there as well. I used to be a fan and now I'm like, oh shit, I can't trust anyone. Yeah, yeah. that's true. Trust no one is clearly the model of this conversation. <laughs> I actually am going to sit with this and come up with a list of people that are in my past basket. I don't know when we're going to do Your Say Friday this week because it's a public holiday. Maybe we do it tomorrow. So the day this episode launches, Zara won't be here. She's on holiday. Enjoy, Zara. We've got all the biggest tangent ever now. We're just in the I middle know. of the quick and dirty still. We will do Your Say Friday Today, Thursday, and we will hear who is in your past basket. Love that. All right, guys, that is all I've got for you. (laughs) Thanks, the chaos. Coming up after the break, Brooklyn Beckham and Nicola Peltz are married and made an interesting choice about their names. But first, a word from today's sponsor. This week, celebrity offspring Brooklyn Beckham married American actress and billionaire heiress Nicola Peltz in an expectedly extravagant celebration at Peltz's Palm Beach estate. Among the many headlines of the day came one that really piqued our interest. The couple took each other's names to now officially be called Mr. and Mrs. Peltz Beckham. Off the back of this, we found ourselves having a fascinating conversation in the shameless office about what is in a name and why so many women still choose to change change theirs in 2022. But before we get into all that, Zara, let's give a rundown on what ended up being the biggest celebrity story of the week, the wedding. Yeah, I think I would have been surprised by this a week or two out for this to have been the celebrity story that dominated the news cycle. But once it happened, I guess it made a bit of sense. So as we know, Brooklyn Beckham is the 23-year-old son of Victoria and David Beckham. His new wife, the American actress Nicola Peltz, is the daughter of billionaire businessman Nelson Peltz and model Claudia Hefner. Now, these two started dating in about October 2019. They got engaged in July the following year. So it's been quite a, a quick quick coup. Is quick, coup? quick coup? That doesn't make sense at all. <laughs> I don't know, like she's about to have a heart attack. A quick coup. Yeah, no. It doesn't matter. We don't need to, we do not need to sit on it. We're not editing that out, though. <laughs> let her squirm, let her squirm. Now, the couple exchanged vows at Peltz's family estate, as we said, and they were joined by some very famous guests. Those celebrities included Venus and Serena Williams, Eva Longoria, Gordon Ramsay, Rashida Jones, Natalia Bryant, 
And the Spice Girls, Mel B and Mel C. Yeah, so originally I wondered if Mel B and Mel C were the only Spice Girls still talking to Vicky B, but unfortunately (laughs) Emma Bunton and Jerry Halliwell just couldn't make it. Vogue had the full spread, Mish. Now, it made me wonder a lot and you wonder a lot about maybe the machinations of this PR deal. Mm. Was any money exchanged or was this something that was just seen as mutually beneficial on both sides? Because British Vogue is quite a big deal. Yeah, quite a big deal and I think it's probably a really good branding exercise, right, for Brooklyn and for Nicola to be sidling up to Vogue, for Vogue to be the one releasing their images. It gives this wedding that kind of upper class edge that they're probably after. Because they probably didn't have it with a billion dollars already. (laughs) But the way that Vogue wrote about this really made me chuckle. This was the opening to Vogue's article. It's the stuff that modern fairy tales are made of. Beautiful blonde film star meets handsome young scion of one of Britain's most famous and fashionable families. Sparks fly and a truly 21st century romance unfolds. Like, This is clearly Victoria Beckham sitting down at a laptop and being like, this is the way this is going to be spoken about. But truly, I think when you read the copy in the the accompanying piece, there's no way this didn't have the tick of approval of the Beckhams and the Peltzers. And so that made me think that maybe, I don't know, would Vogue have paid for this? I I just don't know. Because it was so glowing, I think maybe, as we said, it's mutually beneficial. The piece also went on to write about Victoria and David, 23 years, three more children and countless happy (laughs) memories later. Victoria and David. David is stronger than ever. With this as their template, the future looks bright for the brand new Mr. and Mrs. Beckham. I just, like, come on. Come on, Vogue. It's a little transparent what's going but on maybe here. they know that and I don't care. They're like, look, you clicked on our article. We're the real winners. Now, Saturday's wedding is said to have cost an eye-watering £3 million, which is over $5 million Australian money. The bride wore Valentino. She looked amazing. Lovely. She looked I think I think it was a very timeless look. Mm. Wasn't sold on the shoes, but oh, that's for another time. The shoes were not it if you ask me. Annabelle, I know that you're having a bit of a google right now. The shoes looked like something that I would wear to a nightclub back in 2012. The dress stunning. Veil stunning. Hair and makeup 10 out of 10. They shoes, feel oh. a bit like Steve Madden circa 2010. Wait, these? Yeah, white versions of that. Oh no, <laughs> no, no. Yeah, quite an interesting choice. Now, you loved um bits and pieces from the Vogue story Mish. I quite like this line from the Mirror who were recapping the wedding. The ceremony kicked off at 6pm sharp and the vows were swapped and husband and wife had snogged by 6.30. (laughs) (laughs) They're like, we will bring you down 10 pegs. Exactly. Now, the the fact I liked, I don't know why, Romeo and Cruz gave a joint best man speech. And I'm like, aren't they like 12? Like they will forever be about 10 in my mind. Yeah. How old are they now? They'd be what, 18, 20? Yeah. And I think, is it one of them looks a lot like Justin Bieber? I think it's Romeo. <laughs> of course you would know. <laughs> Does this mean that Romeo is also in your past basket? No, because I know nothing of him. He just, if you tell me he doesn't look like Justin Bieber. He looks like Justin Bieber crossed with his dad. I mean, <laughs> what a surprise. <laughs> he looks a little bit like David Beckham. Now, One of the more interesting elements of the nuptials was that Brooklyn and Nicola actually combined their names. So they are now both Mr. and Mrs. Peltz Beckham. Felt like a very modern twist. And I think 
what was really interesting, Mish, is it sparked an interesting conversation amongst us because it's something that's been coming up a little bit in our office. Formula One racer Lewis Hamilton last month made headlines because he actually said that he was taking on his mother's last name and adding it to his name. Mm. So it's kind of been around, hasn't it? Yeah, so Lewis Hamilton is now known as Lewis Hamilton Lelbelestier. So at the time he said, I don't really fully understand the whole idea that when people get married, the woman loses her name. I really want my mum's name to continue on with the Hamilton name. On top of all that, Zara, you sent me a TikTok video this week that also really captured our interest. Yeah, so it was like this video that came up on my For You page, which was of a woman sort of crying in her car. And the text overlaying it was, no one talks about the sad part of changing your name after getting married. It's like losing a small piece of who you were. Now that video had 325,000 likes Mm. when it came up on my feed. And all of this together just really made me start thinking about, well, what are the stats actually looking like at the moment? Like, where are we really sitting? Because it feels even anecdotally to me that women are still changing their name at a pretty dominant level and that doesn't seem to be changing. Yeah, so the stats I did get for us all. In the UK, around 90% of heterosexual women take their partner's surname after marriage. Over 80% of Australian heterosexual women supposedly do the same. In the US, it's a little less. It's around the 70% mark. Now, the highest rate of heterosexual women changing their name after marriage that we could find across the world was in Japan, where 96% of women take take their partner's surname because Japanese law does not recognise married couples who have different surnames as lawful husband and wife. Yeah, and then on the other hand, you've got countries like Greece, right, where marriage, gender equality laws make it a legal requirement for women to retain their names. It's also customary in Islam for a heterosexual woman to keep her own surname after marriage. It's a really interesting conversation, Mish, because I had kind of never considered if I eventually get married, which I, I guess I intend to, I wouldn't mind a big party at some point, <laughs> um, I, would, I just wouldn't change my name because my name feels like a core part of my identity. And I think what's very interesting is when I tell people that or I've had conversations about that with people, people just say, oh, yeah, because of your work. Like you can't change it because of your work. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, it wouldn't matter what I did for work. Like the name makes up part of who I am. Mm-hmm. But it is very interesting having to kind of, even explain that to people. Yeah, I was a little peeved last year when when we announced, Mitch and I, that we were engaged, some brands sent PR deliveries to the office and a lot of those PR deliveries arrived addressing me as Mrs. Mitchell Rees. And I found that really off-putting predominantly because I'm not changing my name. I've never wanted to change my name. Like it's never even been a question in my mind that I would, which is so interesting because when I then found out those stats that here in Australia, about 80% of women do change their name for it to not have been even like a question in my head is an odd thing when it is a question in so many of the women's heads around me. But I agree with you, Zara, for whatever reason, I love my name. It feels like me. It's always been me. And to give up half of my name now when I'm so deep into my life, 28 years in, has never personally appealed to me. But the interesting part of this, as you just touched on, is that we are in the minority and I wanted to have a conversation with you about it, like a really kind of open conversation about why we might be in the minority or why the stats are still so high in 2022 of women changing their name. And I want to hear from our listeners about it too, because it can be a tricky thing to talk about, right? Yeah. And truthfully, if you're listening to this, let's all leave offence at the door. Like we are not here to offend anyone. We are here to have an open conversation about this. My sister changed her name. My mum changed her name. So many of my friends have already changed their name. 
It is not something that we are judgmental on. Well, Let's just disagree and be happy to disagree. It's also one of those things where it's like, no, we really do deal with enough like judgment. Like any decision a woman makes, be it mm. changing her name or not changing her name, mm. is in some way kind of dealt with judgment. Yeah. So like let's pull that back because there is nothing here. I really just want to have like an exploration about why we're living in a world in 2022 where overwhelmingly women are changing their names. Like what are the things that are leading to that and why are we making these decisions? A thousand percent. Let's unpack it because – I was talking to my mum about this who originally decided to change her name out of family unity. She wanted all of her kids to have the same names as her. But now that she's divorced, feels conflicted about that decision. I asked her if you could go back in time and make the decision again, would you still take the surname Andrews? And she wasn't sure. She likes sharing a surname with her kids, but a small part of her also misses her maiden name. And she was telling me she looks up at her university degrees on her walls that have her maiden name. And she feels that kind of pang, like that's not my name anymore. I achieved so much under my name. And then I kind of lost part of my achievements and part of what I built for myself because I changed it in my late 20s. So there's a lot there to kind of wade through. Yeah. And I think the family unity one is really interesting to me because I did read a stat that I now just don't have on me. So I'm just (laughs) going to sort of ad lib the stat. But it was something like 96% of men when faced with the question of would you change your name to your female partner? And this is, we are talking about heterosexual relationships right now. They said no. And so it's like, is family unity something that we're all obsessed with? Because if it was something that we're all deeply invested in, wouldn't it men and women have an equal investment in family unity? And wouldn't men therefore have a, an equal investment yeah. in whatever the name is chosen rather than it, theirs just being the default? Yeah, we've obviously been having lots of chats about this around the Shameless office as well. And one of the Shameless media team members, Ruby, does probably intend on changing her name. And she told us essentially – It's not important enough to her. Like she doesn't really mind and she feels like it is probably going to be important to her partner. So she's happy to change it if it's important to him. And I think that taps into something really interesting in that men, heterosexual men have probably grown up and been told that this is something that's going to happen for them. And this is something that they are in some way owed, that this is imbued with commitment from their female partner, that if she's committing to you, then she will give you this. She will hand over her surname to you and you will be able to put yours in its place. And I think that's the interesting part for me, that surely on some level women have been told it's like you're not allowed to find this important. It's not your place. You swallow from the moment you're born the fact that perhaps this might be a fleeting identity that you have, that for half your life maybe or for 25, 30 years you might exist as a certain way or as a certain person in a certain name and then, you know, the stats will say that that will change Mm. and so you're told not to care. You're told not to tie your whole identity to your name. It just so happens that somehow – we have. And so, yeah, I, I I believe women when they say they really don't care because that's what they've been told by the whole world, not yeah. to care, to not actually create any sort of emotional bond to that name. I was at a dinner party a couple of years ago and could not believe that I was sitting around a group of people. And when I said that I just like wasn't going to change my name and didn't think I thought that was genuinely one of the least controversial things I could have said in the same way that a woman saying she was going to change her name Mm. was not controversial like I thought we were beyond the controversy people lost it at me I was completely challenged on how and why I wasn't going to change my name to my partner's name as if you're robbing Ollie of something or I couldn't work it out I was I was too dumbfounded because I was like wait what the fuck (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's like where did we how are we still here I think, yeah, I think it's like as if you don't want the same name for your whole family. And then I was like, well, you're making an inference that then my children would take my partner's name. And 
I kind of, perhaps at the moment, I'm not close to having kids, but the idea in my mind that I have right now and the, the conversation I've had with Ollie is I would definitely be open to hyphenating my kids' names. And then I remember being out at another lunch and mentioning that. And I had a friend turn around and say, oh, you wouldn't, would you? And I looked at her and I was like, what the fuck do you mean? As you, and, and then the inference I think was like, oh my God, that's child abuse. How dare you? Hyphen- child abuse. But I, th- I think that is the line of um, thought for people. It's like, that's so cruel to your children. And it's like, what? To want to have a unified family, to want to have my name there when I'm carrying them too. It's so To want to be part of it all. Like I couldn't believe that people made me feel so deeply uncomfortable about these decisions. Mm. And I think what I felt is that the inference in both of these settings was that perhaps I was making this political. Do you, like, yeah. I think people genuinely were like, this is a girl with opinions. I mean, she's made a whole <laughs> job out of it. <laughs> Mrs. Mowley and Mrs. Opinionated mm. here is clearly trying to make this part of her brand too and trying to bring politics into the family. Right. See, it's interesting. Yeah, maybe it is bring politics into it. I see it more as she's being a little selfish. Yes. Like, she's being a little selfish. The least she could do is just change her name. Like, does she really have to be so difficult about Yes, and this? stubborn. That's, You're being yeah. stubborn for the sake of being stubborn. It's also funny with the hyphenated names thing because when people talk about it, they're like, well, what, are you, what is the kid going to do if they meet someone else with a hyphenated <laughs> name? And then you've got four names and it's like treated as if that is a cataclysmic yes. world event. How would anyone cope? My How would we would, recover? My kids will never recover. It's like, they'll be okay. They can pick one. Yeah. Like, I'm not going to be offended. It's like, but... I'm allowed to, with my partner, make that decision. Can't we be a little creative as well? Like I've got friends <laughs> who are getting married this year who have tossed around the idea of creating yeah. a joint surname that is neither of their current surnames. They're creating their own one to start a new story and to have that sense of equality between them. I mean, I know that it's late and this is the thing. I don't want anyone listening to think that we're saying that this is an easy decision. This comes with judgment and pressure from a lot of families, families who did grow up in this system where the man's surname was just automatically taken. And it is hard to kind of push against that. Sometimes the path of least resistance is the more attractive path because you can just kind of lay back and and let the current take you with it. Like sometimes it is difficult to stand up and go, wait, no, I want my name because it sparks uncomfortable conversations. But for me, it's like, well... My name is who I am and if I give up my name, even if to some people listening that will sound silly and frivolous and like it doesn't matter, it does matter to me. My name is hugely important to me and I don't see myself ever giving that up. Yeah, I think when you say it's probably the path of least resistance, I I would love to know from our listeners if that's been a huge factor in their changing of their name, that because it's so widespread and the stats are so overwhelming and the stats, to be honest, don't really seem to be changing Mm. over the decades, that it's almost too ingrained and it's too hard to push back that generations above are just sort of assuming this is going to be the case. And you don't want to have to deal perhaps with the conversations that I've been fending randomly when I'm not even getting married. Like that does make sense to me. I would love to know if it's that. I would love to know genuinely if people think that there's an element of love being able to have your partner's name and be part of you know, his world and his family, if you find that romantic. Like I I would genuinely want to know that too. Is it an element of being chosen as well? Like the ultimate sense of commitment that not just that you're giving up your name, but he's giving you his name. Like I imagine for some people, and I've spoken to some friends who have said this as well, the element of being chosen and feeling special and like the ultimate symbolic form of commitment is very warming. Yes, but I think it's a stability thing, surely. That has to do with security and stability. But I guess I would be most interested in hearing from our queer listeners as well because I think 
their model for this, being able to have flexibility without perhaps the sort of really ingrained gender norms that a lot of people are living within. What are you guys doing? Like, are you just picking a name? Are you flipping a coin? Are you making a new one? Are you hyphenating? I would love to know that because I think that's a model I could really get behind. That's what I'm trying to do. Our queer (laughs) listeners are definitely listening to this fuckery and going, thank God. Like, they're touching their hands and going, thank the Lord. Not my circus, not my monkeys. (laughs) That's the thing. No, there's so much I want to hear. I think... I also want to know from our listeners, there's so many questions we're going to have for your say Thursday. Um, if family pressure wasn't a consideration, would you keep your name? Yes. And I guess to anyone that's married right now, do you regret taking your partner's name or do you regret keeping your name? Like yes. either of those parts. I guess I just want to understand more about this because I think for so long, even though it's one of the most sort of common things we hear and talk about every single week. I don't think very often we're having like deep explorations about why people are making these decisions. And I would just be very keen to know. Absolutely. Guys, we cannot wait to hear from you on your say Thursday. <laughs> it doesn't quite have the same way to it. It really doesn't. Can I just quickly jump in here before the end of the show? We got a lovely email from a listener. I don't know if you saw this, Mish, who said to us that this entire time she thought it was actually called Your Safe Friday. Oh! And she thought we were so much nicer and more kind than we are. Your so, Safe Friday? Yes, we're all self-opinions are safe. It's actually your say, but you're also safe on Thursday. <laughs> As we said, there's no offence here. There's no conflict. We're happy to disagree. You are safe. No matter what you think, yeah. you're safe. So come and tell us. Because at the end of the day, no one's hurting anyone. No. At all. It's, no one's hurting anyone. And that's why we wanted to talk about it. Apart from the quadruple barrel name of kids. <laughs> yeah. Apart from my what future grandchildren or something. <laughs> Won't somebody think of the children? <laughs> Guys, as always, we are on Instagram at Shameless Podcast and TikTok at Shameless underscore podcast. Annabelle Lee, anything to add? Stay safe. Stay safe. Annabelle Lloyd. Annabelle Lloyd. Annabelle Lloyd. Guys, we will be back in your ears on Monday for another episode of Scandal. Have a great long weekend, guys. Bye.